The advice in this podcast is general in nature and does not constitute medical advice. Always consult your doctor if you are concerned about your child's health. We recommend always following the safe sleep guidelines. In the spirit of reconciliation, Dr Fallon and Dr Laura acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and the continuation of cultural, spiritual and, educa and educational practices of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. They pay respects to the elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded. G'day and welcome back to Brand New Little People. We're back with another episode and you've got both me, Dr. Fallon Cook, and we also have... Dr. Laura Conway. <laughs> there she is. Um, all right, so it's so good to be back again for another week and another podcast. Um, we've had some really, really lovely feedback about the podcast, actually. A couple of really lovely comments from parents who are really finding it helpful and useful and pleasant to listen to. So that's so great to hear. And if you have any feedback on how we could change things or improve things, definitely let us know that too. But we love the nice comments. Um, we also got some five-star reviews. Woohoo! <laughs> I was very Yay. excited about those. Very excited. So thank you so much. It's really lovely. Um, and it's a really strange mm. experience um, just putting a podcast out there because um, yeah. you're not you can't see the audience so um, <laughs> we feel like we're talking into the void so it's lovely when we get some feedback from the still, listeners yeah and it amazes me that anyone wants to listen to us <laughs> I, mean, I know that sleep and settling and early parenting is kind of a hot topic but it's still just a very strange thing when people are enjoying hearing us talk I mean we talk all the time um yes. my goodness the other night we started a phone call at was it 11 30 p.m <laughs> Yes. I think I finished at about 2am in the morning. Um, so chatting about this stuff is just what we do. But um, this yes, podcast just means hitting record. we're meant to be record. sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sleep. You know, I've heard it's important. <laughs> oh, funny. Um, I also wanted to shout out to the... Um, people listening in who are joining us from overseas because I pulled up our stats the other day and I was really excited because we've got about you know 87% of our listeners are Australian which I kind of expected we've got five and a half percent of our listeners are from the United States of America so hello if you're joining us from way 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 across the ocean um, we also have some listeners in Spain which is really cool New Zealand Singapore and then there's a few others, which they've, they've just clumped into an other category. <laughs> so wherever you're joining us from, we're really excited to have you here. Um, so this week, we wanted to dive into qualifications a little bit. Um, so uh, was it last week? Last week, I did the toddler sleep webinar for the Raising Children Network, um, which generated a lot of discussion. And some parents were really keen um, they emailed me to find out, you know, how do we identify someone who's appropriately qualified when we want to get some help with sleep? Because we all know, and I think this stands for just about every country in the world, um, there are a lot of people out there who work in this space. Um, some of them are really highly qualified, others not so much. They're sort of out there talking about their experiences um, with their own children. And when you're trying to choose someone to help you with something for your child, I think most parents are really keen to know um, what someone's qualifications are so we were sort of thinking um since you're listening to us and getting advice from us you really should know a little bit more about what our mm. backgrounds are and and what experiences we bring to our roles at infant sleep australia 
So Laura, tell me more about what you sort of did in the lead up to the role that you're in now. I know you, you did your bachelor's degree and that was in psychology and then you did mm -hmm. your PhD. So tell us more about all the amazing things that you did in your PhD. Ah, yes. So um, I did my um, PhD through the Department of Paediatrics at the University of Melbourne and I was based um, at the Royal Children's Hospital campus. Um, and I had a really excellent group of um, advisors and supervisors um, with uh, one of my uh, supervisors was a, a paediatrician, uh, another one speech pathologist, a statistician. Um, and what I was looking at was the um, role that parent-child interactions play in children's language development and their mental health development. Um, and it involved looking at hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of interactions uh, between mothers and their toddlers. And ah. uh, I was talking to a family the other day about how much I enjoy um, watching um, parents with their children. And they asked me, you know, oh, surely you, you must get bored at some point. Doesn't it become boring? And I said, no, not <laughs> at all. I have literally spent thousands of hours um, during my PhD watching video recorded interactions and coding interactions and different types of behaviors that parents use and behaviors that children use mm. uh, to then look at how those behaviors are um, associated with outcomes in later childhood and yeah. it just never gets old i just love it it's, it's such a fascinating area because as parents we kind of know that we need to try and be good parents and we need to play with our babies and toddlers but we don't always understand what it is we should be doing like, so yeah what are the some of the most powerful interactions what are the really what are the kind of interactions we should be having with our children that are going to really give them the best chance of having strong language development and strong mental health mm. well um interactions um that are uh, high quality that are focused on um, what your child is interested in rather than trying to direct your child to look at something else um, or mm. to focus on something that you're interested in um, you know i as a parent myself know that it can be um, a little bit boring sometimes to um, just play with that octonaut set or that bluey <laughs> set or the bluey figurine over and over and over again or that same book over and over and over again but actually, if that's what your child is interested in, then um, ideally when you're playing with them, you just fully focus on whatever it is that they are interested in. Um, use really mm. rich vocabulary um, to expand upon what they're saying. Um, if you've just got a very little baby who's just babbling, um, then you can babble back and um, yeah, right. take turns with them so you kind of have pseudo conversations where you, you know if you've got a little six month old baby who's babbling um, position them on their lap um, so on your lap rather so that they're looking into your face and when they're babbling you pause as, and listen to them and then you respond to them and you babble back or you say oh really mm. what happened next and they love it love it because then they they'll do. talk back and it's just gorgeous. And that you can see, you know, they're making the eye contact with you. They're delighted that 
um, you're focusing on them. And mm. um, it's just really rich, warm and engaging. That's so lovely. I remember years ago, someone, I think it was a psychologist, was saying to me that one of the best opportunities parents have to have those interactions, especially with a baby, is when they're having their nappy changed because they're looking, mm-hmm. typically looking right up at you. And even just telling your baby what you're doing, you know, some parents really struggle to talk to their babies. It's a bit different. If you haven't grown up with lots of babies around you, it can take some adjusting. So even if you just start out saying, oh, I'm changing your nappy now. And, oh, you know, um, you might have a mobile or something above the change mat, or maybe they're holding a toy. Say, you're holding your toy and this is what we're going to do next. So just chatting about what you're doing. Um, It's so great to see their little faces light up. They really do love it. Yeah, and everything's new and exciting for them. Yeah, exactly. Just talking about what you're doing with them. um, And you're you're just um, exposing them to... uh, wide vocabulary and you're describing Mm. everything that they're looking at and the things that you're doing Um, and for them that's really exciting I mean hanging washing out is pretty boring for parents but for (laughs) but it makes it really easy for parents doesn't it because it's pretty easy just to have a running commentary of what you're up to as you're kind of moving around the house or doing stuff with your baby just chat about what you're doing and it's such a yeah it's a good way to get started and um, you know that's going to evolve into all sorts of play as they get older um, and grow Mm. I love that. I think it's such a fascinating field to study um, how parents and children interact and the positive influences that that can have on development. It's really amazing. So, of course, you and I, Fallon, are working with families all the time that um, have uh, children that aren't sleeping very well and they themselves, therefore, aren't sleeping very well. And um, as parents ourselves, we know the impact of um, sleep deprivation on everyday functioning. And mm-hmm. um, so when you are um, not having those long stretches of sleep um, at night time, and when your baby isn't having long stretches of sleep at night time, you can find that the quality of your interactions um, isn't quite as high as you might like. People's <laughs> tempers are a little bit shorter. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a bit hard to be... It's hard to be the parent you imagine, you know, the, the parent you set out to be. It's hard to be that parent if you are absolutely exhausted. I think we know this with our older children as well. It's really <laughs> hard to be patient, you know, when you're just absolutely exhausted and running on nothing. Um, yeah. And I can imagine that would really impact, yeah, the quality of the interactions. Because if you're feeling exhausted, it's pretty hard to get enthusiastic about reading the bluey book for the, for the 400th time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, look, I, you know, it's so interesting to hear about your experiences. And, um, and I know that, you know, when we met, you were sort of at the end of your PhD, we were starting our postdocs, and we, that's when we started to really work together in the sleep field. And we looked at, you know, the sleep of thousands of babies. And that's when, you know, we really got stuck into the sleep thing. Um, and I think that, that the experiences that you'd had in researching parent-child interactions, you know, is just so important to sleep and they really go hand in hand with each other. Mm. Um, but yeah, so you're not actually a medical doctor and that's the same as me. We don't have that medical mm. training. We're the type of doctors who have PhDs. And I think that's really important to make clear too, because I think a lot of people just go, oh, there's a doctor title. They must be a general practitioner um, and be medically trained. But there are doctors in all sorts of fields and we have the doctor title because we've done that advanced research and that PhD um, program. 
Yeah, so Fallon, why don't you tell us a little bit um, about um, your PhD and um, then your postdoc? Yeah, yeah. So my research for both my honours year and my PhD was really focused on um, psychological trauma in the early years. So really, you know, from infancy through childhood and the impact that that has on people as adults. And so it was actually looking at do we see neurological differences in adults that had some childhood trauma? Because I was always really interested in how these very early life events kind of play out and influence the rest of the lifespan. Um, so that's where my interest started. And then I was sort of um, assessing different treatment programs for children who'd been through traumatic experiences. Um, and then when I uh, finished up my PhD and started to work in research, my first postdoctoral work was in sleep um, and looking at what sort of advice can we give parents you know, in those first few months that helps them feel really confident managing their baby's sleep. Um, we know that you know sleep and postnatal depression and anxiety are really strongly linked. So if sleep's really interrupted, mm. parents are really tired and they're more likely to feel depressed or anxious. And so we're really keen to kind of answer the question, well, if we explain a bit more about what normal sleep is like, um, you know, what sort of settling can be helpful, um, all that, that sort of early parenting advice, does that actually help to um, improve parent confidence and re reduce their mental health difficulties? Um, and it mm. did. And it was a really huge Good. trial that we did. We did it in Melbourne. Um, yeah, so that, that really got my interest started in sleep. And I loved, um, you know, working closely with families when we were assessing, you know, their sleep and, and what was happening for them. Um, and then mm. my next postdoctoral work, I just really went, right, I'm loving this sleep field. <laughs> and I was really interested in the whole idea of regulation in infancy. So regulation is all about the sleep, but also about the crying and feeding as well. They all sort of work together. Um, and so, yeah, I did a, a life course postdoctoral fellowship, um, which is when we really got to know each other. Um, right. That was based at the Royal Children's Hospital as well. Um, and in that program of research, um, I started to look at big data sets that attract, you know, babies from when they're really little right through to their teenage years. Um, and we were looking at sort of what are the factors in infancy that seem to influence outcomes later on. So specifically, I was interested in looking at sleep and crying behaviours and whether, you know, the presence of those early on had a lasting impact on a few different areas of child development. Um, and we started to identify some really interesting things um, where, yes, yeah, sleep problems that are really um, severe and persistent and that co-occur with feeding problems and crying problems and that really go on and on and don't quickly resolve, those babies do tend to have um, an increased chance of reporting um, some mental health difficulties um, during childhood. So it was all about identifying those really critical factors early on that can have a really big impact across childhood. Um, so I found it absolutely fascinating because I know as parents, we always want to make sure we're doing the absolute best that we can for our babies. Um, and that research really helped to highlight that, um, you know, their sleep is really important. And I think that's, it's one of those things, isn't it? As parents, we think sleep is just a luxury if you can get it when they're little babies. Yeah. But actually we know that it's not a luxury. It's a really important component of well-being. And what good sleep looks like for one baby is different to the next. Um, and really helping, you know, making sure parents have support through sleep difficulties is just so important. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I'm not a medically trained doctor either. I get my doctor title from my PhD and all those years of work um, looking at, at infants and sleep problems and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. 
And we really had, um, it, it was a, a marriage of um, great research ideas and interests, wasn't it, when we started working <laughs> together doing our life yes. course postdoctoral fellowships. Oh, uh, looking yeah. At, you know, we had all the, the, my interest in parent-child interaction and the early years um, and how that impacts children's mental health development and language development later on and your interest in sleep and we were able to use um, the data that we um, had worked on collecting from thousands of families uh, and combine our research interests um, and it was just mm. fascinating work and being able to demonstrate the exactly what you just said that sleep is not a luxury and it is also not a rite of passage for new parents to have to go through um, really disturbed nights for months and months and months and months on end without mm. any support or help um, that actually um, sleep is so important it is one of the pillars of health and yeah. what can we do to support parents to be able to um, protect their own sleep as well as their baby's mm. sleep um, and that's what really yeah. got us interested in consulting directly with parents on that topic of sleep because there's so much conflicting advice out there it's such a minefield and we were hearing from parents at the time that um, some of the hospital sleep clinics, the wait lists were like 18 months long. And I mean, if you've got a little baby who's not sleeping, that is a long time to wait. Some are a bit shorter, mm. but, you know, they're usually in the order of months that you have to wait for help. Um, and that's when we sort of, we would talk way too much. We ended up being moved apart because we talked too much <laughs> where we were sitting. <laughs> but um, it didn't stop us. It didn't stop us at no. all. We still would, would find a way to chat or send messages to each other. <laughs> but um, that's how Infant Sleep Australia was really born, was us going, you know, let's, let's get out there, create some clarity for parents um, and make sure that this amazing research that we're doing is actually reaching the people who can benefit from it the most and I think that's something that has been um, probably lacking over the years actually we were just saying the other day I remember Laura that when our children were babies I'm thinking about my eldest so he was a baby 12 years ago now it was a similar time frame for yours there just wasn't all this conflicting information about sleep and probably social media was wasn't new but there just wasn't a lot online about sleep no. um, you just kind of did whatever you felt was best and got on with it but now there's just yeah. so much noise um, that parents have to contend with mm -hmm. That makes it really challenging. One of the skills that um, our backgrounds give us is that um, we are well trained in reading and interpreting scientific studies, and we we can um, uh, see a headline in a newspaper, and we can then go and access the the actual peer-reviewed study. And we can read that and we understand how much weight to give the findings from that study, who those findings are applicable to, um, whether they're conclusive or they're just a step along the way. Um, so when um, we are looking at all of that information that's out there um, in the social media space, um, we really have the skills to be able to um, distinguish between misinformation and, and good information.
I think that is such an important point and it makes me think back to, to um, what I was saying earlier about my work looking at the impact of trauma in early childhood on, on adults and so often parents do come to us and it's so sad that they even have to ask this question but they're so worried that anything they do to try and improve their child's sleep could in some way damage them so if they're not going along with what the baby wants them to do to fall asleep and they're trying to you know say for example if the baby's only falling asleep on a person and parents are exhausted so they're trying to work on cot settling and that baby's not happy about it they're worried that even if they're being really supportive and helping that baby a lot to fall asleep in their cot they're still worried that somehow that's causing some kind of trauma and some damage mm. and it's um it's so important i think for anybody working in sleep that we have those conversations around um what the evidence actually shows us and we know that working mm. on sleep and giving lots of support um, is very far from being a traumatic event for a baby. So, yeah, I think that's sort of one example of how, you know, we can interpret that evidence and understand um, what the research is really telling us about what is good for babies and what's not so mm -hmm. good for babies. Um, and I think that's a really <clears throat> unique element of, of our practice. Um, all right, so I think we've, you know, yarned on and on and on. <laughs> we should probably wrap this up. We try and keep these episodes around about as long as a feed. So, you know, we're getting getting over 20 minutes now. We better oh, let yes. everyone go. <laughs> um, but just a last little reminder before we go. Um, if you're a Sombal um, parent, if you've joined our Sombal Sleep Program, you can send in questions to us and we can answer them in these podcasts. So if you have a question, please do send one in. Um, if you are having sleep and settling problems and have questions, Sombell is a really great resource that you might want to look into as well. And um, we'll put a link in the show notes for that. And if you enjoyed our podcast, leave a review, um, give us give us five stars. Go on, go and do it. You'll make us really happy. <laughs> yeah, um, you will. And yeah, you will. And you might also want to follow us along on social media as well if you're wanting some sensible, practical advice around early parenting and sleep and settling. That's kind of what we do. Um, thanks for listening in and we will see you again next week. Thank you. Bye. If you need help with your baby's sleep or settling, then you need Sombell. Sombell is Australia's first online paediatric sleep clinic for babies aged 0 to 12 months. It contains all the best resources from Dr. Fallon and Dr. Laura's sleep clinics, so you can rest easy and so can your baby. To find out more, click the link in the show notes or visit sombell.infantsleep.com.au.